Um, you know, I think what happened this summer has kind of opened that door, but it's one of those situations that it was, it was definitely a lot tougher to get stories over um, certain hurdles, certain clearing blocks, and for people in the room to understand why these stories matter um, and why these stories are worth the energy, worth the, the two-day rate to tell it right or whatever it might be. What's going on, y'all? You have just tuned in to the Black Shutter Podcast. On this show, I invite black photographers, filmmakers, editors, and creative business folks to discuss their experiences and share their wisdom. You will hear about their work, their challenges, and their inspirations. My name is Idris Talib Solomon, a creative director, photographer, and filmmaker based in Brooklyn, New York. So if you dig photography and you love the culture, keep your mind open and your headphones locked. This is the Black Shutter Podcast. Photographers and editors tell stories from slightly different perspectives. But in the end, they are a team. Periodically, photographers transition into the world of editing, a world where they have more influence over which stories get told and which photographers get to tell those stories. As a black editor... This role comes with added responsibility and accountability. Our guest today comes from Chicago and understands the frustrations of being both a black photographer and a black editor. He was a photojournalist at the Denver Post before becoming a photo editor at ESPN's The Undefeated, where he worked within an all-black newsroom. He then became editor at Washington Post and is now on the business desk at the New York Times. He is the co-founder of Diversify Photo, a global network of photographers of color. This is part one of our conversation with Brent Lewis. Brent Lewis, welcome to the Black Shutter Podcast. How you feeling out there, bro? Oh, man, I'm great, Everett, man. Thank you for having me. This is, this is up there. This was like a 2020 goal that got pushed into 2021. So I'm just happy to be here, man. Happy to chop it up with you. Likewise, man. Likewise. Yeah, man, we've been trying to get... We've been trying to connect on this since last year, for real. Um, yeah, oh yeah. But definitely glad to have you on now. And, um, you know, you're one of those dudes um, that I've met in the industry where it's like, I don't see enough. We don't kick it enough. But whenever we do cross exactly. paths, it's like, it's always love, man. So I'm, I'm definitely happy to have oh. you on the show, man. It's crazy to also have, like, like my peoples on the show. You know, a lot of times I'm, st- I'm 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 meeting photographers for the first time as we record, but there's always something mm-hmm. cool about chopping it up with somebody you you already know, you know some of their work, and you're familiar yeah. with them. So uh, thank you, exactly. again, man. It's going. I'm looking forward to this one, man. So um, why don't you go Stay ahead there. and tell go ahead and tell folks uh, where you calling from? All right. So um, so first off, before I was going further. I'm born, my name's Brent Lewis, I'm born and raised on the south side of Chicago. Can't, live, can't forget that. Can't mm-hmm. forget that. I knew that so was coming up. Definitely what you take away. I, I knew that was coming I, up. I have to drop that first. I have to. <laughs> you know, I have to. Um, but I'm, I, you know, I'm New York based now, uh, Jersey technically, but I am a photo editor over at the New York Times. Um, and I also run this, you know, I, I like to a little known, but I think it's getting, I think it's getting prominent. Um, website, database called Diversify Photo which we are now 700 deep with photographers of color from across the globe um, that are working in every aspect of photography. It's mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant. 
hoping to change this industry for the better. Like, to realize that we need a season table, we deserve a season table. And actually, before we even get there, it's just the idea that, like, we've been doing the work. Yeah. Um, so it's time to make sure, you know, folks are shining. So we're here to help elevate that, take people to the next level, make sure that work gets out, and also bank knock on the doors of this industry like we hear. Yeah, yeah absolutely, man. Um, and definitely, uh, you know, appreciate all the work that you've been doing with diversifying, and definitely want to get into that a little um, later on. Um, but I think you know when I, I first discovered, I first met you, and you know, learned about diversify photo at the same time. So uh, definitely want to talk about that um, yeah. a little later on. So um, where where did you go to school? So I went to school um, at oof. I'm gonna. I guess I'd be a shout out to Columbia. So Columbia College, Chicago, um, back in the great city in the planet. Um, went there for photojournalism. I originally started going to Northern Illinois University. I was going to be an electrical engineer. Like my goal was to become like the Black Tony Stark. Like that was my entire goal in life. Like I'm trying to make enough money where Bill Gates has to answer my bail. Yes, Sir William, I would like a couple. I would like a spot of tea. Like that's how rich I wanted to be. Um, and then I just like I found it was the sophomore year of college and um, somebody to my sophomore freshman year found my grandfather's um, house of block. I can go into the full story if you got time. But yeah, let's uh, do it. Like, okay, cool. I gave well, I gave away. I gave it away. But um, <laughs> so no. So um, I grew up. My father, my grandfather was, um, you know, he kind of like cameras. I've seen cameras on the house and never thought anything of it. Um, and so I kind of had like a, a thing. I was like, oh, cool, you know, cameras, that's what's up. I kind of played with a little digital cameras back in the day. Could never save up enough for some odd reason. You know, you, you put $5 in my pocket, it's burning. It's like five in, five, I gotta go. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was around, it was between my freshman and sophomore year of college. I was, um, I was going to see my, I was, it was my grandfather and family, everybody. So we went up to my cousin, he had a brand new house. And, you know, I, I did my research on cameras and all, but we got there. My granny, I, was, I always carried this old black box camera thing or whatever. It was like 2008. So everybody was digital at this point in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, so he, he grabs me and says, Brent, go around to the front of your cousin's house and take a picture for me. He gave me his little his box camera. And I was like, what is this? Okay, great deal. I'm, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm going to see what I can do. Um, so I go out to the front of the house, right? And so I pop, and trying to figure out how to put the viewfinder up or whatever, push a little button, it popped up. And I look over and take the picture, and it says, has a block. And I'm like, what? Never took the photo. Literally never took the photo. Just broke out in a mad dash back to back. And I'm like, granddad, what is a black man from the South South Chicago doing with a Hazelblad? That's mind blowing to me. And, you know, he, you know, I was like, I was like, what? He was like, yeah, you know, I, I bought it. That's what I'm doing. What do I bought it? And I was like, but at that no, time, no, 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 no. But at that time, were you mm-hmm. familiar with cameras like that? Yeah, I was familiar with cameras. Like I, okay. I, I was interested. I just never could afford anyone. Got it. Um, and so, um, like, I knew Hasselblad, I knew Canons, I knew Nikon. You know, base level stuff. And then, so like, I knew the importance of like of this camera. And so I'm like, I'm talking to him. He's like, yeah, you know, I was going to be a photographer. He like he did some wedding. He did weddings back in the days, school portrait stuff. You know, he was like, I always wanted to. I learned years. I learned years later that he wanted to do 
we want to be a sports photographer. That was like mm. a, a goal. Wow. Um, but you know, you looked around, it, it wasn't none of us out there. Like, you know, yeah. it wasn't many people you could look at or watch to see how you even do that. Also, you know, he had two kids. Mm-hmm. This was what? The 60s? You happen to like go on a whim and follow some dream where you got like a solid middle income job where your, your kids are good and your wife is good. You got a house and all that jazz and a boat. Also, so no, like, nah. Grandfather had a boat. Yeah, man. We was, we was <laughs> those, uh, we was, everybody like to say, I, my wife likes to call us that those middle to upper end class, um, class folks. At least they were. It didn't. It didn't trickle on very far. But you know, <laughs> Granddad had a boat, a motorcycle, a half a block. Like he was living yeah. life. Like Wait. everybody on the block was like they rich. <laughs> yeah, Jeffersons was was based in Chicago, right? Mm, yeah, Jeffersons was New York. Was it? Hmm. Yeah, I thought Yeah, Jeffersons New York. Okay, okay. I I I'll fact check after this. But um, no, that's that's dope. Um, so. Yeah, we, we had good times. We had good times. Okay. We, 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 were at, we, were, we were the opposite. <laughs> so, Granddad gave you this camera to go out and take oh, a no. picture. No, 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 no. He let oh, you yeah, hold okay. it. He let you hold it. He let me hold it. He let me hold it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, But, like, so I'm going, I'm taking a picture, going back, we're having a conversation. And so going back to school, going back to college, going back to Northern Illinois at that time, he had um, a Minolta that he was just like, oh, here, take it, play with it, cool. And then from there, it was just, it was nonstop. I was, I was playing with it. I was doing my engineering classes, physics, two or whatever it was. And then I wound up looking into a job at the student newspaper, got lucky. Um, the photo editor of the time, Ryan Strong, lucky enough, wasn't actually a photo editor. He was just like this word person that like moved over to photo editing. Mm-hmm. Um and so I just kind of snuck in. I had literally no experience outside of Minota that you could never actually get a roll of film through without it, like, ruining the film. <laughs> um, and so and so he brought me in. He, he's like, sure, come on, staff. I think we would make, like, $12.50 a photo that published in the paper. And it literally shipped it. Like, I think I stopped going to class and just started making pictures every single day, like, getting things published. Where started as beer money just turned into this passion, and I just fell in love. And I was like, you know what, Bill, Bill Gates, you might, you might, you might avoid this one. You might have to work for me now. Like you, you might have saved yourself. It's cool. It's cool. But, um, but yeah, once it, once it grabbed hold, once it took hold, I, I couldn't go back. Couldn't go back. So, in two thousand and eight, <clears throat> digital cameras were very accessible. Um, we even had cell phones. Uh, with mm-hmm. cameras in them, right? Um, and I know when I started, you know, not to age myself or anything, but I started in like '99. Uh, there was with a with a um, a black and white film camera, a Nikon FM10. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. There was no option for me to photograph any other way than film, right? Mm-hmm. But, exactly. So discovering, you know, your your grandfather giving you this camera, two thousand eight. I'm a note to film camera. You have to figure out how to load the film properly. And, you know, you you might be bypassing the the phone with the camera that you have in your pocket to, like, pick up this, you know, uh, analog camera with, that, with film. Like, what drew you to it? You know, what made you choose, like, the sort of, like, artisan route 
You know, and I had just put quotes in the air. The artisan route versus mm-hmm. just sticking with the the easy, quick, digital. I see it on my. I see it on the screen as soon as I take it route. I think it was a mix of both because I really started with both. Like he gave me that time and that was my only way to really like understand photography. So, and I didn't even get to the magic of everything at that point, but it was just for me, like the numbers and understanding how light works, understanding how show speed affects aperture and just seeing that. Um, and also being able to make those mistakes because when you're working on film, like you got to be hypercritical because everything costs, like buying yeah. film costs money. Getting it developed, all over it costs money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just understanding that and being like, I don't want to mess this up, but I make sure everything in this frame is what I want to be was great. Um, and, you know, just playing with it also at that same point was really, I think, helped give me an understanding of why the camera works the way that it does, why it sees the way that it sees, why the lenses make differences. Because I think he gave me, it was, I think, a 50, it was a 50, a 24, and then like a 180 or 185, something like that. So just being able to see the differences between them. And you have to move slowly, where like if you're on a camera phone or even in a digital realm, like it's so immediate. You don't actually get to fully internalize what's happening or why it's happening, why the lens works the way that it does. I think that was a huge perk um, that I got before I jumped into the digital realm when I got the job at the student newspaper, which at that point was completely digital. Um, But then, like, what also, I feel like, left over from starting with um, film was the idea that, like, I got to then play with these ideas. I got to make more mistakes and see them more immediately. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I still had that, like, I don't want to go through 200 photos. I'm used to having 36 and calling that quick. Nice. So what type of engineering did you go to study initially? Um, so I was electrical engineering with a minor in computer science. Um, and so it was just, you know, making, I wanted to make software, I wanted to make programming, I really wanted to make hardware. Um the idea of building just building tech that can help the world. Mm-hmm. I think that was a big thing. Um, I, we weren't really yet fully on the path of the cell phone taking over the way that it has, mm-hmm. but just creating technology that would make life easier um, when it comes to travel, when it comes to uh, naming across the board, just things that I would want in life, things that you can see in, like, minority report, uh, with the most amazing, that little touchscreen board thing, like, just making things that can change the way that we, we live, work, play, all that jazz. That's dope, man. You know, the reason why I ask is because photography just consistently seems to be one of those professions where, more and more you're discovering that people then not everybody is going to school for photography mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. gotten like a traditional photography education, right? And I always find yeah. it interesting like how people chose the path that they that they're on, you know. Um and you know, for you to have been interested in photography but have but went to school for engineering 
something clicked when you when you when you when your granddaddy gave you that that camera and when he gave you the Minolta, right? And you said you wanted to start figuring yeah. out the numbers and the, the science and the you know all of that stuff. So it felt like your engineering brain might have just like the light bulb went off, you know, for you when you showed oh, yeah. that camera. And it was like, well, it's not necessarily engineering, but you're using you might be using your brain in a very similar way as if you were still pursuing engineering, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, photography is so interesting because there's so many, it, it, it encompasses so many different types of um, professions, right? It's like art and it's mm-hmm. science and it's technology and it's emotions and it's like it's all these different things that come together. So I think that's interesting. Exactly. Yeah, no, and it was, it was the ability to still come doing, you're doing math, you're doing yep. physics um, on the base level of your aperture, your shutter speed, the light, the quality. Um, and then from there, you're doing the ideals of creativity. Um, you're doing the ideals of being able to create something from pure numbers. Like if you, even more when you get into digital scale, I'm like all we're really doing is there's this bunch of ones and zeros that are being translated into a visual form. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the things that kind of drew me to it is that like I'm using all this science to create these images. And this is, we haven't gotten to the actual dark room yet. Um, which at that point I was already like a hundred percent in, but after that, the first dark, first black and white print that came out the, um, oh my God, I'm blanking. Oh, baby, it's so hard. Um, it's been so long since I've been in the dark room, but the first black and white print that ever like popped up, I was like, wow, I, yeah, it's no going back. This is it. This is it. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, at that point, did you change a major or like, what happened? How did you shift from engineering into like photo, like um, journalism or photojournalism? So it was, we're still, it was like 2008, 2009 at this point. Um, and I was still in the fence. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm, no, not first generation. My mom went to college. But you know, the goal in life is always about your mama's house. And so um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to jump on that dream. I was like, man, I can't, I can't really do this. And, is this what I really want to be about? But I got to see the power of journalism um, covering some small local story, and I was like, "This is this is this is it. I love this. This is what it's about." And so I was planning on staying at Northern for another semester to finish up my sophomore year. But um, my the, what they had there for journalism wise wasn't really there. Like it was more of a writing school. They had like a little photojournalism class or whatever. Um, and so this, um, a friend of mine at this time, everyone is random because like my group of friends, my group, my core group at the time was like, everyone was going back to Chicago to go back from different school. We all live in Northern. And so the, one of my friends was just like, Brent, this is what you love to do. You should do it. Go at it hundred percent. It's Columbia is the place you need to go for it. Then go for it. So, you know, I, I did my research. You know, I wanted to learn from um, John H. White, Paul Diamato, um, Dao Bay. I was like, this is, I, I have to. It's like, why should you wait? Just go for it. So I just finally transferred schools completely, went to Columbia, thought I was going, walking into like this school of photojournalism and photojournalism all night and day. It was actually way more of an art school. Way more of an art school. Wow, I was not prepared for that. Um, at all. Oh, also, spoiler alert, that friend who told me to go is not my wife because I had to marry her because why wouldn't you? <laughs> uh, 
that's, that's like, nice, she, she trusted me. She, yeah, she was just like, go for it. And, you know, yeah. It was, it was a much smoother way to segue than that, but I had to throw that out. So she, she's been on a, she's, um, she's been riding with you from, from day one. Oh, day one. We're going to, we're going to get into more of like the hardcore, why you, why you marry smart or partner smart or whatever you want to do smartly. Say marry up. Uh, Lawrence Jackson, yeah, when he yeah. was on the, um, when he was on the podcast, I always remember he said, you have to marry up. I was like, yeah, that, that makes sense, man. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, marry up or just marry someone that's like been day one and know what, know what you're going in for. Um, mm. because, for me, I got, like, Jasmine knew what I was about. She knew what I was about from, from the spots. Like, this is what you're going to do. I'm, and she put me in the freelance, before freelance days. I was like, want to be a photographer with no camera type situation. <laughs> um, to making $125 for an assignment for the Tribune. Like, missing every single Friday, Saturday, Sunday event that we had planned to make $125. Wow. Um, to, like, the New York Times now. So she, so she already knew what she was getting in for. Uh, I don't. I don't think completely she knew because there's been like seven moves, but uh, um, but like she was. She was day one, and she knew that I was passionate about what I do, and because of that, like I owe her so much. We'll talk about that later, but like, like I couldn't be. I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for her. Period. Mm. Respect, respect, man. So, you mentioned John White, Dawood Bay. Uh, who was the third person you mentioned? Uh, Paul Diamato. Paul Diamato, did you actually learn from from those three? <laughs> I laugh because it's funny. All right, so um, <laughs> immediately you heard that I said I went to Columbia for all three of them. Correct. Um, went to Columbia. I took only one of their classes. And which one? Craziest thing ever. Uh, I took Paul Diamato and didn't even take Paul in documentary. I took Paul in Color 2. Okay. Uh, no, Color 1. I think it's Color 1. So I actually never had the chance to fully learn from them, like, be in their class. Mm-hmm. I, like, popped in. Um, I think I hung out in John H. White's class a few times. Um, I never, I think I popped in Dawu Bay's class, like, one or two times just to, like, watch. But never actually signed up for their classes because something was up. Um, but... I got lucky that Steve Liss, who is, I can't thank this man enough, um, is wanted to be in the, my mentor, wanted to be in my guiding light through college. He was a, oh God, he worked at Time for 25 years? It was a very long career. And for me, was the photojournalism, he was chair of the photojournalism department or whatever department had. There was some I was able to gravitate towards. So I told you, Columbia is an art school. It is a fine art school. I sat in critiques with people looking at pictures of pears and being like, <laughs> and this is why I think the American democracy is falling apart. Like, bro, it's a pear. Damn, it's literally a pear. It's a pear. It's a pear. You lift this with your mama's lamp. I'm like, damn, I feel it. Like, but no, in this photo of my cat, talk so much about the influence of American pop culture upon the genocide of Rwanda. I'm like, this has nothing to do with Rwanda, man. Yo, oh, my God. Oh you, my know, God. you know what's funny, man? I don't feel like you you were freestyling any of that. That sounds like you were, like, go, you were going right back to that, to that critique, man. I'm not. I'm so triggered. I got triggered. Okay? I can't, I, this is why I can't go back to Columbia. I can't go back to the film. I mean, the photo 
fire with things. Like, I just can't go back in those rooms. I will start throwing stuff. I <laughs> do. <laughs> Oh, all oh, oh, those kids! I love them dearly. But oh. <laughs> it's funny. I just I was just speaking about John White uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Somebody on Instagram um, posted a old Eddie Adams photo um, where you know John White was the team lead. So it was a young John White, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Is that mm-hmm. John White?" And um, dude was like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Yo, this dude is so inspirational." Um, he was there. Yeah. He, he gave a presentation my first year, um, the year I was a student at Eddie Adams, and he did mm-hmm. it again this this past year, um, virtually. Yeah. But just like the the soul that this man has, and and yeah. how talented and kind he is, are the two things that yeah. stood out stood out to me the most. Because photography can be a, a, a industry where the 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 more talented you are, you you it almost gives you license to be a, a jerk, you know, to to, to be really yep. ego based, right? And this dude is, you know, every single photo he put up was poetry, and yeah, but he was a nice, just like a genuinely nice person, you know, a nice human mm-hmm. being, and I, I can only imagine like what a photo class would be like. Uh. Can you imagine it's a magical. critique? Can you imagine it a is, critique um, from John White? Like, <laughs> I, I know that it. I've seen it. I've seen oh, it several man. times over. Never been on the receiving end of it, but just <laughs> witnessing it. Um. Oh God. I, I, I'm going tons of way John's like secrets. Um. But but no, like it's it's funny because John starts off his class is like very like not. Not mysterious, but with this like <laughs> tough act in a little bit of a way. Um, and I've never, I've never actually witnessed this one, but like I've heard that like the first round of stuff, like students go out, he sends one assignment to go out to make pictures, they come back, and he like critique them, and then like every now and then he takes one and he just rip it up, he's rip it up right in front of person. And I was like, man, that's that's rough. But it really is the idea of like, no, 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 no. It's it's not tough. It's not worth love or whatever it is. It's just the idea of like this all right here is kind of temporary. You're not making the pictures from your heart. You're making the pictures of what you think people want to see. It's about making the photos mm. with the camera of your heart. And just understanding that all this right here is temporary, but what you're creating is what's going to live. And I was just like, damn, this is mind-blowing. Yeah, for real. Um... Yeah, and then it's just like this nonstop steadiness of um, positivity. Because I've seen like, people come through John's class that, like, I, I even myself, like, I'm, I put myself on blast. But like, I'm like, oh, that's kind of a mediocre photo. And John would just find some element of it that's just like, wow, I never, <laughs> never looked at it like that. That's great. Okay. Um, yeah, so no, John is, is inspirational. Like, you just leave his class on another level. Like I've heard people say that there's like a cult experience to John H. White class, which yeah, I can, I can I totally can accept. Imagine. I can, I can imagine. It, and, you know, it, it's talking about photography, it's talking about work, it's talking about life. It's on a whole different yeah. level. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, once you, if, you, if you've never experienced it, I'm sorry. And if you have, you know what I'm talking about, um, and there's no replicating it. There's not. No. There's absolutely no way of replicating that. And you just leave as a better person. I mean, people have gone off and done 
numerous different things outside photography, but I can they imagine. know it's life skills with them. Yeah. I can I can yo, I can only I can only imagine how many people have left this class to be like humanitarians on another level, man. Just you know. Mm-hmm. Um and you said it, you were like um you know, quoting him, you know, giving a critique like, oh, this picture, you, you took this picture because you think this is what people wanted to see, but you need to take the picture with the camera of your heart. Like, yo, know, that's classic John White. Yeah. You know, and that's... By that's, all means. And you, and you missed out on taking his class? Yeah, man. Uh, uh, so John was sick um, uh, for like a whole year. Um, which one was it? It was 20... That'd be like 2011 or 2010. So John got sick um, to the point where he couldn't teach that year. And that was the year I supposed to take photo one. And I was wow. like, cool, maybe John come back to photo two. And he didn't come back to photo two. And it got to, he finally came back. But he wasn't, he wasn't teaching photo three, photojournalism three at that time. So um, I had a few friends who was like, Brandon, you should just take, you should take PJ one. I'm like, man, yeah. I'm trying to graduate. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Like I'm still, yeah. I, and I'll be honest, right? You know, um, sometimes I'm sitting here questioning myself, like, who am I to 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 host a podcast about black photographers when I don't know? I'm not familiar with all the legends of of black photography, right? And I'm so I'm just mm-hmm. now starting to, you know, dig into the history of, of of some of the legends of black photography that don't make it to the mainstream that. A lot of these folks don't mm-hmm. have IG pages, right, um, or, oh, yeah. or websites or archives, right. So, yeah. but but the work is out there, and I've you know. So now exactly. I'm like, I gotta go and dig for you know these these images, you know. Um, and Dawood Bay was his name started to pop up for me a lot more. I would say in the last three years as somebody to pay attention to. Okay, but. You know, mm-hmm. so many other people are like, "What? You don't know Dawood Bay?" I'm like, "I'm sorry, man. I mean, I, I didn't." You know, um, so yeah, he's definitely one of those yeah. names. Oh yeah, no, he was. His work was just phenomenal. Um, I met Dawood Bay when I was at Columbia, and I was like, "I have to take his portrait class." But also, I was. I was this is the problem with. Um, I feel like putting 19, 20 year olds in college. Like, I just feel mm-hmm. like none of our actual 
understanding of the universe and we want out of it yeah. is um, worth anything. <laughs> so I was hardcore on my photojournalism. Like, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. This is what I need to care about. And so I got into a Dawu Bay class. Like, these things, they go like hotcakes. There was 12 seats. The moment the website goes live, you got to get in it. Like, you, you buy some new J's and something like that. Like, you know, the, uh, the Yeezys, mm-hmm. the 350 boosts just came out in black again, and it's mm-hmm. gone um, type situation. And so I finally got into one, right? And I was like, cool, cool, cool. But then I looked around and said, man, you know what, though? Why am I going to need portraits? I'm trying to be a photojournalist. Oh. You don't do that. <laughs> so straight up now, like, dropped the class. My and was God. like, I'm just going to pop in, like, one and just kind of see. And let's just say, like, years later, that's one of my biggest and biggest regrets. It's like that and then, like, not buying tickets to uh, watch the throne when I also had those in the car. Like, those are my two biggest regrets in life. <laughs> <laughs> Question is, question so, uh, is, since those yeah. two moments, uh, have you made similar mistakes since? I mean, it's it's not really. I mean, I, great, we all still make mistakes, we all make regrets, but I think I'm just more intentional about what I'm looking to do and what mm-hmm. I want our life. I'm looking to learn and gain. Um, so the only the only one that's close to that, you know, okay, just add one more into that. It was right when I was leaving Rockford. I was leaving Rockford going to Denver. And it was John A. White's retrospective at Roosevelt um, University. It was an amazing put-together show um, that was opening. And I happened to be in Chicago at that time. It was, it was perfect timing. At that same time, and that same, I think it was the next day, Eli Reed was giving a talk. Um, but I was just, I was spent. I was so spent. Like, I was trying to decompress. I was, my, when I worked in Rockford, that was a terrible, terrible paper to work for. Just imagine it was, was horrendous. And so I was just trying to decompress, and I didn't go um, to either one. Which I think the, the retrospective of John H. White was one I really, is in that three. So of those three, those are the three biggest ones. The Eli Reed one worked out well for not going to that one. Um, so I wound up meeting him at NABJ and had a much better experience than anything you could even, like, I buy. Like, there's no better experience um, than what happened in uh, Kasimu's studio <laughs> with Eli Reed sipping bourbon and just listening to him talk. Like, I couldn't beat that. So I don't, miss, I don't regret missing Eli that night. That in, in whose studio? The big one was... Uh, Kasimu, Kasimu Harry. Wow, um, he had yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to make sure. Um, you said Kasimu. Wow, he had he he hosted Eli Reed in his studio. Ooh, wow, yeah, that was NABJ in New Orleans. Seventeen, I think that was two thousand seventeen. New Orleans. Um, huh? Eli Reed was in town. Yeah, was in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. We were, um, Tony brought him in, and he did a speech and stuff, and so we were kicking it, and so we. Um, Simo was like, yo, let's just go to my studio and hang out. I'm like, cool, follow me. Did not expect. I was just, we were just, it was him, um, some of his people, uh, his wife, and I think Denise King was there with me as well. We were mm-hmm. just hanging out. Uh, Jared was there too. Jared Henderson was yeah, yeah. there. Um, I was kicking in. Like, Eli called and was like, hey, guys, I'm like around. Can I swing by? I'm like, yes. You just called. And so this night, <laughs> I'm telling you, it was just, it was magical. 
Like the only way to put it. So he, she sits down, and we're just we're just chopping and having a time. He's like, hey, can I, can I show you all some new work? And we're like, yeah. Wow. So he pulls out this pocket projector on his phone and starts just showing like work and just talking about the work he's been up to recently. We're just mind blown. Um, it was like seven of us in a room, no bigger than like a what a Manhattan studio, sipping bourbon. I know I was dead tired because we were running the. Um, it was just you know that's what MBJ is like, and just looking at him talk about photos. It was the most magical moment of my life. Like it's up there was like the birth of my child, my wedding day, and then like sitting in the room with Eli Reed talking about his work, where only. Six people, are, six other people are experiencing this at this moment. Wow! All right, so it sounds like, like you yeah. you were able to balance out some of those um, some of those misfires. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It all like it all works out. Like I didn't get to see John White's uh, retrospective, which will like that's one of those things that stings. It's just like missing Kanye and Jay Z. It's just like not hanging out with Dabo class. But like I had my moments with John later on. Yeah. Um, but we just, we just chopped it up and, you know, I was just like, thank you for what you've done. Like, you mean so much to me and he was like, you mean so much. And I was like, yo, what? <laughs> <laughs> I can't understand this. <laughs> um, but just, you know, um, we're just hearing that. So I was able to have that moment. I, I miss being physically in the, in the face with the retrospective, but being able to give my roses, um, to someone while they're here mm-hmm. means so much to me and just being able to John to see the things I've been able to accomplish because of so much of what he's done, so much of groundwork he's done, and just show me to be a better human. Just to be able to tell him that mm-hmm. in person is, you know, I I don't feel, you know, I don't feel too too bad. I feel like I've made amends in that case. I mean, the way the world works, right, is if you did get into his class or you did get into that, you did take Dawood's class, right? Then mm-hmm. you, you know, you know, you may have taken it for granted, just like yeah, I took that class, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But but by not taking those classes and seeing how 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 legendary they are and and how important their work is for the world, you know, maybe stirred up a bit more appreciation for what they do than if you did take the class. Mm-hmm. So now you are able to recognize that yo, I need to give these. These um these men, their flowers. I need to celebrate them. I need to thank them for everything they did because, in your mind, you you knew that taking that class was something that was important. You weren't able to do it, so now let me sh- let me mm-hmm. let me show my appreciation for what I think I might have missed. Does that make exactly, sense? and yeah. also who's yeah, also who's to say that like because I gave that spot, someone else wasn't encouraged. Yeah. Um, someone else didn't sit in that chair and have that mind-altering moment where they go out and change the world. Exactly. Um, who I just haven't met yet or is out there doing work that hasn't been seen yet or whatever it might be. Like, who knows the butterfly effect that that could have uh, allowed. So. Yeah, because keep it real, you know, photography is a tough industry, right? Uh, everybody who goes yeah. for a photography degree does not always end up doing the type of photography they want to do if they're doing photography at all. So the fact that you are exactly. able to be, you know, you've bounced around and you're able to like land at New York Times and do this work, you know, it worked for you, right? Um, yeah. Somebody else, you gave you gave gave up that seat for somebody else, 
that might be one extra person who's able to get a little bit, you know, closer to their to their goals in photography, you know, mm-hmm. than if you were in if you were in that seat. Exactly. So, so now you are. You started out in Chicago, and now you're in New York Times. Um, but yeah, you know, but you're at the Times as an editor. And when I met you, you were yeah. an editor at uh, ESPN's The Undefeated. And then I know you mm-hmm. bounced around a little bit after that, right? So, but how did you get into editing? You know, you you were talking about how much you love the camera and the Hasselblad and the Minota and. What happened in between? So a lot. Um, so I graduated in 2012 uh, from Columbia. And that was, in that time period, I also had like internship at the Chicago Tribune. Um, I've been hired this for years. Some people know, some don't know. I don't know it's public or whatever. Uh, I had an internship with um, Obama's re-election campaign in 2012. Ah, I didn't that, know yeah, that. 2012 election campaign. Yeah, yeah, I keep that low. They tell me to keep that low. Um, I was coming up for, you know, for obvious reasons. Um, but yes, yeah, so I like, you know, got to, got to move. I moved what at one time was the most shared photo on Twitter, which was the hug. Um, I actually moved and toned that image. So, you know, not, not too many horns. But, um, but after I left those internships, I got my first job in Chillicothe, Ohio. If anyone on this podcast can find it, um, shoot me a link to wherever that, and I'll send you a dollar. <laughs> um, because it is literally in the middle of nowhere. I love it so much. And what, that time, what's it called? Go ahead. Chilla Coffee, Ohio. Chilla Coffee. What the hell? Yep. I don't even yeah. know how to begin. I don't even know where to begin trying to spell it. It's okay. Let me start here. So it's like chili. So think of chili. Yep. So C H I L L I C O T H E. Chilla Coffee. That sounds Native American. Yeah, chill coffee. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's like, oh god, I want to say there's like five chill coffees across the across the country. Wow. Um, so make sure you're the right one. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that was my my first job was at the Chill Coffee Gazette in Chill Coffee, Ohio. Um, oh god, was the population in town? I want to say it was like ten thousand or something like that. Super small. Uh, no, it was twenty, and the paper reached eight thousand. That's what it was. Um, super small, but it was great. It literally was hands down one of the best experiences I've ever had. A, you're taking a brother out of Chicago, like in in the city, and moving him into the middle of rural Appalachia. Mm-hmm. That was mind blowing. Um, I got to understand so much more about the world, and also in that case, I could make a lot of mistakes, mm-hmm. and no one would really see them. It's like the tree falls in the forest, and no one's around here. Yeah, that's what happened to Joe Coffee. Please don't dig up those uh, those files, please. Um, but yeah, and so I was there for about 13 months, then got the job in Rockville, Illinois as a photographer, um, which was like perfect timing. We're getting married there. I was getting married to Jasmine at that time. We wanted to get back to, closer to Chicago anyway, and so that was great. Um, worked there for about 11 months, and then got a call from Tim Evanson in Denver, Colorado, to work at the Denver Post, mm-hmm. which I was, I thought, I, I thought he was calling me to BS, and I thought he was lying. Um, and so I wanted to go in there, and I was there for almost about 18 months. So wait, and so Tim Rasmussen called you out of nowhere? Like, did you know him? No, no, so I, 
I applied for. I met. I met. No, no, no. This is great. Perfect. Um, so I applied for the job in Denver, right? So I met Tim back at the Eddie Adams workshop in 2012. And by I met Tim, I mean I said hi to him very nervously, asking him to look over my portfolio, and he shooed me away. Uh-huh. He was just like, "Get out of here, kid! I will get your portfolio at the 9:30 club." Never showed up, man. Never showed up. <laughs> All right, that's cool. So whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. <laughs> and so, um, and so, it was years later. So the job opened at the Denver Post, and I was like, I'm going to apply for it. You know, you miss 100 percent of the shots you do not take. Although I'm pretty sure I was, I was not going to hit this one at all because everybody, mom was applying for it. And so, um, you know, so reply if the guy that better went about my day, went about my life, basically. And then I get a phone call. You know, what was it? Oh, this is great. Okay, 30 <laughs> seconds. I'm going to tell you, you the quick story. That's how I got this phone call, right? So that morning, my phone was acting weird. So I was like, cool, I'm going to take it to the Apple store. Took it to the Apple store, gave it to him. I was like, cool, walk around the mall, you come back. Boom. So, um, like, I walked around the mall for like an hour, came back, and I was like, there's like, is it ready? It's like, no, I'm not checked. Come back and like, fine, cool. I put on my Facebook feed, right? And it was just like, I got a, I got an email from Kim Lyons, who was the deputy at that time. No, he was a photo editor at the time. Um, seeing a photo editor. And he was like, hey, man, we're trying to get in contact with you. We're trying to see if we can set up a website. And like, I think I sprinted. I like straight up sprinted to death. I give me my phone back. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, give me my phone back. Um, and the officer was like, what's going on? I'm, I got an interview, fam. Give me my phone back. So I got my phone back. Hopped on the phone, called him, Ken. He was like, oh, yeah, cool. We can set the um, meeting, interview tomorrow, whatever. So I hopped up in the morning. The next morning, we're home. Um, got some sleep, popped up. For some reason, this was a phone interview. Put a suit on. Don't ask me why. <laughs> Are you for real? Don't know. Makes zero. Yes, I put a full suit. <laughs> like a full like, suit, Cre- jacket, Creasing everything. And yeah. Creasing everything, nice shirt. Like, you were the man, I'm telling you, you thought I was going to church. Like, it was that bad. Um, had a really great conversation with them. We was laughing. We was dying. Also, I knew nothing about Denver at this point. I've never been to the city, never even been to Colorado. Oh, I thought it was a frigid, cold place. Um, and so I, like, so I got the phone, and I'm like, cool, I think I went well. I'm at the worst. Um, and then I got to talk to, like, Craig and Joe and Craig. Um, they had Craig and Joe over there. Um, and so cool. So I didn't mean to go. I was like, man, I'm coming like another two, three weeks before I even fly here and get back to them or whatever about what they decided to do. No lie, that evening at five o'clock, I got to work or whatever. And he, Tim called me back, he's like, I'll offer you the job. And I was like, uh, what? But I'll offer you the job? To be sacrificed in the general I was like, that, that's insane. I've never heard of this. No lie, I cried in my car. I'm fine with that. I can admit that. Um, <laughs> And so uh, when I still told my wife, uh, we were pregnant at the time, which is crazy. My mom was still in kill me to this day, but that's fine. And um, we, um, and I was like, cool. I was going to wait for the morning. I called him. So Tim called me back. I'm in this Mexican spot. I'm in this really good taco spot in Rockford. And he was just like, so what's your, what's your answer? I was like, I'll be calling in the morning. He's like, no, no, no. Tell me right now. What do you want to do? So I'm sitting in the middle of this Mexican restaurant yelling, I'm coming to Denver. He's like, what? He's like, I'm coming. Like, he made me yell in the middle of this next restaurant. Phelps was looking at me like I was mad. That's some Jerry Maguire. Um, <laughs> some Jerry Maguire. Like, shred Jerry Maguire. <laughs> Show me the money! Um, yeah, I went, sorry, that was a complete tangent, but I had to tell that story. 
No, that's great. That's great. I mean, I think yeah. it also it also shows that, you know, um, you never know how people are going to show up in your life, right? Like the same person mm-hmm. who shooed you away, um, stood you up for your portfolio review, is the same person that at the time offered you like the job of your life. Exactly. Right? Like there's no, you can't write this, you know, you can't write, make no. this up. This is like, this is just how life works, you know? Um, and I think it's also mm-hmm. a testament to just keep doing the work and bet on yourself. Exactly. Bet on yourself. You yep. said like, there is no way, it's like one in a million chance that I'm going to get this job. And that one in a million opportunity like landed for you, man. So I think that's a great story to tell. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, definitely, man. It was, and it's, and it's just crazy. Um, just thinking about how everything kind of transpired because, luckily enough, when I was in Rockford. I was kind of like, you know, it was really close to talking about it was a paper. I was doing like five assignments a day. It was crazy. Um, but um, my colleague and my now friend and basically like a brother, Matt, my first, um, gave me. He knew that my hunger and what I wanted to do was storytelling. So he was like, Brent, you got this story about this kid or whatever. And um, she had a, they were making her like a prosthetic hand from a 3D printer. And I took that story and was like, you work on it. I'll cover the other assignments. You work on that. I know you really want to do that. So I worked on it, built this website for it. Almost got fired in Rock for building this website. I will wow. trick on them now. That's fine. Um, but like I did this thing. I basically went way over time. It was way over. I was like, this is going to take like five hours knockout to 12, whatever. It won an award a year later. Wow. But, like, they tried that. It was, like, trying to fire me and stuff for it um, and all that jazz. And that's literally is that assignment, is that. Breaking those odds, defying those odds, defying what, I guess, stipulations someone had for me. That got me that job in Denver. Because mm-hmm. that was the story that they brought up. They're like, yeah, we saw your recent work with that. We thought that was phenomenal. We thought that was amazing. And that's, that's one of the reasons why we're hiring you. Beautiful. Um, so yeah, it's just, you know, take those gambles, bet on yourself, like, who else is going to do it? And also the people who like, just, I guess not bet the farm, but like bet some cattle on you as well. Don't forget those folks. Mm-hmm. Um, cause they see something in you and they're going to always be in your corner and you know, you just got to keep that, keep that cycle going. This is the end of part one of our conversation with Brent Lewis. I hope you are enjoying the conversation so far. Part two is available whenever you are ready to pick it back up. Peace. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is part two of our conversation with Brent Lewis. Walk us through how you went from Denver Post to, you know, undefeated. 
I think that was a great origin story, though. Oh, man, okay, okay. That makes it feel better. I was like, we went, we went. <laughs> so, um, but no, so I was, in, I was in Denver. I was in Denver Post. I was done. Like, I was like, I'm good. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to keep on this path. And when these pull-ups do um, I'm trying to hang out with, like, Craig Walker and stuff and yeah. RJ and Aaron Alcaveras. Like, I'm, I'm trying to join this, this, this group. I'm trying to bring some more Pulitzer's home. But they got bought by um, media news group at that time, Alden Capital, as we're knowing them now was basically like just wrecking that newsroom and just hearing it went to them, um, laying off folks left and right. And so it was kind of like not the end of that dance, but it was rough. And so around that time, in terms of who left first, I think, yeah, so Tim wound up leaving. I was there for about a year, and then Tim wound up leaving, um, which I can't never learn from Tim, I was, by all means. And so he kind of left me. He was like, okay, well, I'm leaving, but he was leaving to go to ESPN. And so he was like, well, you know, Craig is still here, Joe's still here, Megan's still here. You still got these people um, that will help guide you in the case I couldn't help you. And so um, after that, Craig left. I was like, okay, well, that just shot that plan in the foot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so around, that had to be, he got there, he got settled. And so Tim just gave me a random call one day. I thought he was just saying, what's up? He was like, yo, like, um, it's this new website called The Undefeated that is, like, starting up, and it's all about, like, you know, just black folks, intersection of sports, race, and culture. Uh-huh. Um, and he was like, man, I gave him your name because I, I think you'd be phenomenal if you want to go about it. And I was like, okay, you want, like, a photographer? He's like, so it's a photo editor, but, I mean, they don't let you still, like, you can go out and make pictures. You can still do that. If you want to come from stories, you can probably picture it and go do it. And, all right, cool, cool, cool. I don't really know what editors do because in my mind, an editor is I, I go do the work and they sit at their desk eating caviar. Mm-hmm. And then, like, when I call them and tell them I send the picture back, they're like, oh, okay, I guess I should work now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we move this one picture over there. Great. That, so oh, wait, no, that's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not what y'all do? No, that's not what we do. It's not what we do. It's not what we do. I found that out. I found that out. Also, we couldn't afford caviar. I also found that out. I thought that I thought it was a vending <laughs> machine. I didn't have access to. Um, I thought they were just like move the worst photo. Yes, that's the worst photo of the take out. Put that on the front page and mm-hmm. go back to my champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, stop that later on. That's not what they do at all. That's not what we do. Um, it's all about cool. So I, I got on the phone with the editor in chief over the executive editor, Kevin Moretta, uh, Kevin Merida. Jesus Christ, I can mess his name up, Kevin Merida. Um, and, you know, I've known Kevin's work. He did some amazing work that I was trying to um, imitate in Denver around the identity of what, what is the black male right now at this moment in time. What does it mean to be a black male in America? Mm-hmm. It was like right, we're, we're a few years out of Trayvon. Uh, we're about, what, probably like a year out of Mike Brown. Um, so I like, I wanted to, especially in a city like Denver and a state like Colorado, where there's not a large amount of us, plus going through mass gentrification. I wanted to do that for in Denver. So I knew Kevin's work. I knew that he was about this and he left the Washington Post. Like, so if you leave the Washington Post and go to ESPN, they got to be a reason. Um, and so I was like, cool, I'm on the same page, let's do it. So that's why I got into editing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I missed the street. I missed it hardcore. I remember my first, 
like week or two in there, like people were just like talking about like, oh yes, I'm going to the Coconuts this weekend with Snapo. I'm like, people out here are like hungry, fam. What are you talking about? You think the Coconuts? We got we got journalism to do. Um, so I just got tired like is being around that office environment for me was just unnerving. Uh-huh. So I remember going out, walking over to K Street and just kicking it with this dude asking for change for like an hour. And he just told me about his life. And I felt so much more of my element. Uh-huh. So <laughs> it was just like pulling teeth. Like I didn't make a picture. I didn't even, I just wanted to hear other people's stories um, outside of what we expect usually see in newsrooms. But you know, after a while I got used to being in the office and also just taking I didn't take it at that moment, but just being this newsroom for black folks. It was a newsroom uh-huh. for black folks on everywhere. It was it was phenomenal. It was fascinating and I don't know if that ever be like replicated, but it was beautiful. Um but yeah, so I was there about two years and worked on so many projects, just nothing for stories about black black folks. We have a few a little bit of brown in there, but like overwhelmingly just the story of what it is to be black in America at this mm-hmm. time. Um, through the lens of sports sports and culture, which was phenomenal and really gave us the ability to highlight just about anything. So We've done things from a segregated football team in Mississippi playing the last game before actual desegregation happened Mm. to the dancing dolls um, on that TV show Bring It on, what's that, Lifetime? Like like that to go and hang out with Misty Copeland in Cuba. So it's it's across the board, but it really just like gave us a chance to dive into what it is to be black, which is phenomenal. I can't imagine the the energy of walking into a, a newsroom with a bunch of black folks uh, telling stories in the black community, black culture, music, you know, and being able to sort of create without the same type of restrictions that, you know, we would have if we were pitching these stories to some of the bigger papers, some of the bigger publications. It's mm-hmm. almost like... Yeah, it's almost like an HBCU for for news and storytelling. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. I think that is the best way to put that. Right, and then, yeah. So uh, that you know that sounds amazing. I mean, to just yeah. you know, I always tell a story <clears throat> when I lived in Ghana for eight months. Uh, the amount of peace and tranquility I felt by not mm. being racially profiled for eight months was, mm. oh. you can't, you know, um, you don't realize how much stress you're under until you're not under that stress. And it's almost like, mm. you know, um, you hear a car alarm blaring outside your window. It's going for like 10 minutes. After a while, that noise just you just get used to it. You don't even realize the car exactly. that alarm is blaring, right? But it's still annoying you. But you just got used to that annoyance, right? Or that itch, yeah. right? It just mm-hmm. it just stick, stays with you. But then when that alarm yeah. goes off, you realize like, oh shoot, I'm much more relaxed now, much more calm and cool. And then you realize mm-hmm. like you were just under stress for like ten minutes or, or or whatever. Like that's that's what it felt like to to move to Ghana. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine a similar feeling having a newsroom that that feels like that, you know, 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's funny because I think I, I did it backwards in a way. Mm. Um, which I think it has, it has its perks. Um, but I didn't understand the hurdles that would be when you walk into more of a mainstream newsroom. And when it comes to like that, there's like pitching stories or getting things through or having not to explain things. Like I remember just doing like, yo, I'm doing a huge project on HBCU bands and we're going to go to a band a week as a band or even two bands a week as they prepare for the Saturday game. And all the pageantry, all the work that they do, we're going to cover them like we would cover a sports team. And you'd be like, all right, cool, go for it. Didn't have to explain it. Um, in some other newsrooms, I tried to pitch a story about that. I'm like, okay, well, uh, break that down for us a little bit more. Why not just cover the game? Why would you cover yeah. the band? Because yeah. like, that's what people go there for. Yeah. But why do they go for the band? Because like, that's what HBC... Also, explain me what an HBCU is exactly. Ah, interesting. Yeah. I didn't know they had those schools. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, so much so, like it was explaining on the back end before you could even get to the heart of what the story is. You know? Exactly. Yeah, because it's been several times that like, I'm, I'm pitching stories and something will come to fruition. I had to, like, then before we get ready to push the button explain to someone in the newsroom about why this story matters. Yeah. Um, where, like, I didn't have that. Also, I, I have a lot more control over at, the, over at the Undefeated um, in general, but, like, I just didn't have that level of having to break things down on a granular yeah. level to explain to people why this matters. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, it's, it's a gift and a curse. It's a gift and a curse. I got spoiled. I can definitely say at the Undefeated, I got spoiled in that sense. Yeah. Or maybe I didn't. Maybe that's just the way it should be. <laughs> right. And um, but I definitely can say that I I, I took it probably more for granted than I should have. Mm. Um, but what did I know? I didn't. This was my first editing gig, so I just thought it would you know it continue on like this from newsrooms to newsrooms. Like you can just come out, you pitch this amazing story about something that deals with black folks, and people are like, yeah, cool. So, where did you go after Undefeated? So, after the Undefeated, I um, went over to the Washington Post. Mm -hmm. um, I was there for a few months. I was working on styles and then sports uh, over there. Style, um, like fashion? Yes, yeah, like styles is like their fashion, arts, and cultural type of like all folded in one. Okay. Um, or just like much more that like feature type scenario. So like Hamilton and then like also how are the um I guess Trump's fitting in to the um D C culture at that time or um some new hot stage play that's going on or whatever that is. So it's kinda like a catch all of like culture mm -hmm. um in D C at that moment. And then um, moved over to sports just in time for, uh, oh, God, which one? I was going to say the Avalanche. Totally not the wrong, wrong hockey team. The uh, Capitals um, Stanley Cup win okay. went over in, in time for that. So I was over there. I was there about three months. And then, um, yeah, the New York Times called. And Michelle, you know, was just like, hey, we, we want you here. 
And I was like, I don't know, I don't know. And then the announcement came that like Megan Long was going to be the new director of photography. I adore Megan. I think she is like brilliant. Um, and you, you, well, I guess you before that like dug into Todd Hodges was one of my favorite human beings alive. And so, like, thought that that she was the person that put together one in eight million. I was like, that's mind blowing. Um, so, and I kind of like what she, what her thoughts were, what she was going for, and I was like, this, this is a pretty good ship. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a ship when I need a good guidance that I'm willing to be like be a part of. I want to be a part of. Also, Whitney Richardson was leaving, and she was like, I want somebody to take over my spot that gets it. So I was like, cool, mm-hmm. done. Whitney's great, so... And so, yeah. And, oh, oh, I love Whitney. I miss her so much. I don't... I mean, she's living her life in London right now. So I, I can't knock at all, but... Oh, I yeah. miss Whitney so much. Yeah, she's good people. Um, so, yeah. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about making a transition. Like, you know, being at Denver Post and being at, you know, where you're Rockford... Um, yeah, Rockford. Rockford. Um, and, you know, starting out in those newspapers, um, being in, like, the middle of middle America, then going to mm-hmm. undefeated ESPN and going into, like, this black newsroom where you didn't have to, you know, um, explain why stories mattered, why stories in a black community mattered, right? Mm-hmm. And then... Having those two ex- experiences to contrast each other, right, and then deciding mm-hmm. to, to then making the decision to go to WAPO and then to New York Times, like, what did that transition feel like? Leaving undefeated and going back into a space where you now have to, you may have to like explain certain, like, why why these story, stories matter again, you know, like what. What shifted for you uh, mentally or emotionally, um, you know, making that transition? So uh, in in those moments, it was, so looking, like I said, it's that double-edged sword in a way of going into an all-black newsroom as my first editing gig because of time for a whole different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, vastly different experience than being at the table and being able to have a talk with the other editors and pitch stories to the managing editors or editor-in-chiefs or whatever. Um, then being, you know, a photographer, just being out there, you have this, you have this filter. So I come to my undefeated, you know, that was my first way in. I was like, this is cool. This is amazing. I work with all these folks who just get, and then moving into like the Washington Post and New York Times, it was kind of this rude awakening. Um, it was also this idea that, um, where I might've been having like inner office politics with other folks. Um, as the undefeated that looked like me, um, there was no longer, there was never like this thread of anything that might be a little something more sinister mm-hmm. underneath um, a layer. Like, you know, it's just air off the thoughts of another black folks. Like, yeah, you know what? Um, XYZ, you, you're kind of reckless. Like, the way you go about this is messy. That's cool. We'll get, we'll get over it. Um, where, like, moving into more of these more predominantly white spaces, you're having those conversations and you have to take it, everything with a grain of salt. You got to see their underlying message being, um, being stated or like having to break down the ideas of like why this story matters 
um, in a politically correct way. Yeah. Which, you know, can be difficult when it becomes topics about race, when it becomes issues about race. Um, that, you know, that, that's a little, it's a little bit tougher just because they don't have that way of understanding. It's not that, it's, it's not always, it's not a universal thought. Um, I like to, like, compare it to we, a little bit like the Me Too movement. All right, so I always like the Me Too movement because I think, you know, these are the two huge movements when it comes to the idea of race and it comes to the idea of gender equity that have taken place in this country in the last few years. Um, the one thing about the Me Too movement that was really powerful is, like, every person, whatever you are, there's a woman in your life. You understand that. Like, mm-hmm. someone brings us something about Harvey Weinstein, I'm, I'm cringing because that could be my wife, that could be my mother, that could be my cousin, that could be my niece. Um, and, you know, that's a little bit more of your story. Like, I might not walk in those shoes, but I can, uh, I can feel, I can feel for that, for that situation. And that's, you know, something that is a bit more universal in a way. Um, and when it comes to the deal of telling stories about race, there are people out here who don't know black folks. I've met those folks. I've lived in Chillicothe, Ohio. I've walked in people's houses. I can tell you I was probably the first black face on the, in, that's ever been present in their home that wasn't on TV or that wasn't Barack Obama. Um, and so it's a little bit more of that disconnect and there's more of that explaining that has to be done. It's so much more groundwork that has to be laid to get folks to understand why this story might be pertinent or why this story is universal, or why this is an audience that we don't care to, or we don't see very much. Um, or the idea of, like, is this our reader? Like, what, what do you mean? This is, we, we live on the Internet. Every reader is our reader. Do they have a phone in their pocket? They're our reader. We should be telling them a story. Um, yeah, it might not do, like, 500,000, but it's going to do 450,000 on black Twitter, and that's not a space that we're in very much. And so it was, like, kind of explaining that and having to explain that a bit more. Um, you know, I think what happened this summer and it's kind of opened that door, but it's one of those situations that it was, it was definitely a lot tougher to get stories over um, certain hurdles, certain clearing blocks, and for people in the room to understand why these stories matter um, and why these stories are worth the energy, worth the, the two day rates to tell it right or whatever it might be. That makes you better at what you do as an editor? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. And it's and like in, in taking everything I just said, like with this idea of the experience talk as well, is that it also forced me to think about like larger picture ideal of how to fold this story into um a population that might not understand mm-hmm. or might not get it. Um, I think that's one of those things that I took for granted at the undefeated because that was our audience. Our audience was black folks. We were born yeah. directly before black folks. We didn't care about the other people. And so I think it has made me better to be able to be like, all right, cool. Let me, let me break this down for you. Let's see what blind spots you have. Let's see what blind spots I have. Mm-hmm. And then find a way to make this more of a universal tale. Yeah. Um, cause I think that was, I definitely struggled um, when it comes to, you know, publications and having to explain this. I'm like, why don't you just get it? But it was one of those moments, it was a give and take, when we both walked away as better understanding of the world around us. 
And I was able to understand, like, hey, we can still take this story that might be about black folks and make it universal through, I don't know, the numbers or the coming from the business desk, like, that the larger narrative that black folks are making more strides in the job market means that, like, the overall job market, a.k.a. like white folks, um, are also doing better. Um, and also, like, diving into that situation, it's just been like, you know, black, black unemployment is so low that white unemployment is also very, very low. But also can, like, point a finger at that. It's like, but you also see that white employment is very low. Um, and it's vastly, it's still percentage different from black unemployment, and that's an issue mm-hmm. that we need to, like, look at, that we need to talk about. But, like, it gave me the ability to see that. Um, and, you know, understand that I can't completely ram this down from a story just because, like, it's a black story and they're not going to understand it. It's more or less like it's a black story, and let's hope the readers at large understand it. Yeah, so I can see how that um, that added layer of research and explanation and um, forward thinking, you know, foresight that you have to have when thinking of these stories makes makes you're a better storyteller as a whole, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because there are different ways of bringing messages to people. And, you know, we don't always just want one audience to take, take something away from a story. Um, If there's a way, if there's a way to get a much wider audience to pay attention to that same story in a way Mm -hmm. that can actually lead to, you know, a lot more awareness or some, some, you know, longer lasting change, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, no, that's okay. Yeah, I would say, but uh, you know, I do feel like there are some times when having to explain why something matters is very exhausting. Oh, beyond, beyond. I mean, just the idea of it, like. Certain things are just stories that, like, need to be told for the community um, and just need to be told for the culture. And it's like we have the ability of this platform to just tell their story. It's, what is it? It's, it's, uh, it's going to go online. It's not like we have a, a certain amount of stories we can publish online before we, like, I don't know, we get our own paywall or something like that. And it's not like we don't burn money on other silly projects. Like, let's just do this one to say that we've done it. Let's just do this one to acknowledge, like, we are giving acknowledgement to this existence of this moment in time or of this situation. I think that is, that's powerful. That also just shows to the larger whole, or even the community itself, that, we're, that we see, we, we pay attention, we are about that life, we get it. Um, I think that goes so much far, so much further when it comes to building trust and building a relationship with our readers, especially now all platforms, New York Times, Washington Post, whatever it is, like, are moving towards a subscription base. So I think the idea that, like, telling our readers that we see you and we're about these stories and we want to follow up these stories, we want to see these stories more, um, you know, gives that, gives that, gives that nod. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, keeps subscribers around. Because if not, if people aren't, if we're missing a, a population, a set of the population, then we're not bringing in that money. And also means that money might go somewhere else. Those not subscribe money might go somewhere else. Like, if you popped on Netflix and had no movies that you wanted to see and no TV shows that you wanted to see, you're going to cancel that subscription. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the same way it works with newspapers now, newspapers and media outlets in general. 
is that if I'm not seeing my story, why am I going to continue to subscribe? Yeah. Like, why? Yeah, I get no value for the for the money I'm spending. Yeah. It's like, okay, cool. You're going to tell me about uh, you know, a, a shooting somewhere, and that's the only story I'm going to see about a black person today? I'm good. I'm totally good. I'm, totally, I'm going to go to, uh, I don't know, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go to Essence. I'm gonna go to whatever else spot that I want to see. I'm gonna see a story about black folks doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I want to I want to shift gears a little bit, right? Um, yes, sir. So a few years ago, I think it was 2000. I was a student in Eddie Adams 2016. So it was 2017. I went back mm-hmm. uh, volunteering on a mm-hmm. black team. And I remember I was on security duty, and I was basically outside in the rain. <laughs> I was outside in the rain for the whole weekend, right? And um, I remember mm-hmm. I saw you walking up the hill, heading towards the barn. On like a if the if the workshop started on a Thursday, you were walking up on like a Saturday, and I'm like, yo, this, exactly. I'm like this student is wild late, yo. Like <laughs> I, <laughs> just, I was just like, yo, give up. And, and go back if that's how you're gonna treat your assignments man like you done you done for right um so you're walking up and i give you a, i think I, I mentioned something about um hurry up and get inside because uh presentation just started i, I was treating you like a student right exactly yeah and um then later on in the weekend you know first of all i also have to recognize like y'all saw another black you know a black man at exactly. the barn so i was like yo Okay, it's two of us. You know, I mean, there's a little bit more. There's a little bit more, but you know, we 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 pick each other out. You know, we spot each other, right? And um, throughout the weekend, people kept saying, "Yo, Ed, yo, Ed, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta meet Brent Lewis. Brent Lewis, Brent Lewis." I'm like, "Yo, who is this Brent Lewis dude?" Right? And they were like, "Yo, he started this thing called Diversify Photo. You gotta meet him. You gotta meet him." I was like, "So eventually, I meet meet you," and I'm like. Oh smack! You the student that was you the student that was wild late walking up the hill. <laughs> so um, I was like, oh that's dope. And you started telling me a little bit about diversify photo, and I was like, yo, this is actually really dope. So I wonder if you can Thank just you. you know, of course, man. Um, can you give a little bit of uh, background on what diversify photo is? Okay, yeah, definitely, definitely. So first off, I was happy to see you too. <laughs> I was happy to see you too. I knew you was on black team. And I was like, so he's been through. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a few of us. We have yeah. enough of us that we can sit at a group table who have been through uh, Eddie Adams. It's enough of us. Yep. We all was there. It was me and this one cat from South Africa. That was, <laughs> and we got confused somehow. They confused the two of us. My man was like 125 pounds soaking wet. And I was like 170. But whatever. Like he was bald at hair. But anyway, I was happy to see you. Um, <laughs> But, um, but yeah, so no. So Diversify Photo is a website and database um, uh, photographers of color from now across the globe, um, representing, you know, photographers of color, black, indigenous, people of color, um, who do photography. It, um, with the idea to start off as a database to encourage and to push photographers of color into these spaces that they have not been before. When I became an editor, I've seen so many times of photo editors or whoever's assigning being like, oh, I had to get the same uh, white person I worked with in Detroit 
because I didn't know any other black or brown or whatever people who lived in the city or just insert major urban populated mm-hmm. city, which, mo- which means overwhelmingly a large black and brown population. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got tired of it. I was like, I know these folks exist. And it started off as just a list for myself to use it undefeated because I was like, we're going to be having a jet in 2016. Like, it's going to be nothing but black in here, all black, everything. Um, and so it, it literally started with a bunch of photographers I knew and I loved and that were friends or people I always wanted to work with. And it just kept growing and blossoming. And we did an open call. It became a lot bigger. It just, and it just grown. It was U.S.-based just at first. And now it's just for across the globe. And so it, it has opened the door for so many photographers to get assignments from New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Time, National Geographic, The Atlantic, to Apple, Google, Amazon. Um, oh God, I'm just, I'm, I'm blanking on stuff, but like from editorial world, commercial world, to folks working with Spotify, to folks working with Apple Music, hmm. shout out to Jabari Jacobs. Um, Jabari. And it's just been this, it was this, yeah. Um, it's just been like this, this need, um, and there's kind of like this, this want. It was, it was a blind spot. It was a blind spot that many people had, and they just didn't know where to go. And so I guess others just revolted, like, completely went back to their usual folks. And I was like, no, there's many people out here, there's amazing photographers out here that you need to know, and I want to give you a home for it. So this is where you can go to see this brand and absolutely phenomenal work, and with this, you can't say that you don't know XYZ in Chicago. You can't fly that dude out from New York anymore to do those photos mm-hmm. down the street from my house when I'm living in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I'm also still a little salty about that one. I, it was just a story that the New York Times did about Barack Obama's uh, roots oh, in the Roseland West Pullman neighborhood in Chicago. They threw a photographer out from New York Oh, man. To go do it and everything. And the photo that ran with the top of the story was the corner store, just the corner store, that was five blocks away from my house. I was upset. To put it mildly. To put it mm-hmm. mildly. Maybe it wasn't me, but I know there were some people in Chicago that could have done amazing work, like Carlos Javier Ortiz, John Lowenstein, whatever. Um, but, yeah, so all that, it was all back to diversify. So, you know, we lost this database, 700 tribes of and it's pushing back against that area that there are folks that can do it because you scroll on the website. It's all beauty. There's amazing, brilliant work there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. It makes, I'm, I'm even blown. Like, it started with the folks that I've known. I've met so many more folks, so many amazing photographers that I never would have known before, and they're all in this area now. Um, and then on top of that, like, Diversify just become this community where yeah. people just get together and hang out and share ideas when it comes to, like, the business side of things, which is just phenomenal, as well as, like, what do you use for gear? Or how should I think about this? Or reading these contracts? Because, you know, a lot of us don't have that. We didn't go to school for that. Even if we went to school for photography, we didn't go to school with no business thing in mind. Like, so how to read this contract? What should I talk for this? Man, I just want to, I want to vent for a second. So it just made this community... Yeah that I know I was hungry for when I first got into photojournalism, I first got into photography, because in my mind, like, it was like me um, and, like, people who were, like, either beyond 40 or on the cusp of death. Um, And that's why I didn't know where that middle ground was, was the folks in the 20s and the 30s 
looking to work up, and now that community's there. Yeah. And it's built. So Diversify has done a lot. I don't want to say, you know, I think we still have things to do and ways to grow, but it's just phenomenal what has been able to be accomplished. And I think, honestly, at the end of the day, it's so much of a photographer. Like, we, we just, we just, we built the baseball stadium. We built the dreams, and y'all just come in just knocking out the park. It's just, mm-hmm. like, we just, it's home run all day long. And I think that is what keeps folks coming back. Um, and it keeps it growing. So I'm, I'm in love. I'm loving it. I mean, with technology as advanced as it is, um, we can see photographers' amazing work from all over the planet instantly, right? And mm-hmm. there's no, I mean, the excuses, they're, they're still coming up with excuses, but we're able to call foul when we hear, mm-hmm. when, when we hear these excuses now because we're like, yo, so-and-so's work in South Africa or in New Zealand or wherever, right, in Cali, um, is amazing. You can't look at this photo and not tell me, and tell me that this is not beautiful, right? So there's no, like, mm-hmm. and it's not comparable to something that's been on the cover of Vanity Fair or any of these publications that up until recently, very recently, haven't had, like, a black photographer photograph the cover. There's no reason that you can't compare, like, these two photographers, right, and not give this other one, this person of color work, instead of going with the same white photographer who's been doing this for years and years and years. You got to open up the door, exactly. right, and, and share those opportunities. Yeah. So you can't be be tired of hearing those excuses. So I really appreciate that, you know, a database like Diversify Photo exists. And to to push it a little bit further, um, I'm not sure, I haven't seen, I'm not sure if you've done this um, recently, but I I know at one point you were, you yourself holding, you know, um, public accountability for Mm -hmm. who you were hiring as an editor, right? Because... Mm -hmm. Um, as photographers, we are sort of at the mercy of editors, right? Um, mm-hmm. Editors get to hire um, personal favorites, um, classmates they went to school with, um, people they're attracted yeah. to, uh, you know, mm-hmm. pe- big names just because they're big names, right? Or or they can exactly. hire out of fear. It's like, okay, well, I'm scared of losing my job, taking a risk, so let me hire somebody who's a sure shot, right? Editors yeah. have so many have so much decision power, right? Um, the photographers, a, a lot of times, we feel like we're at you know at your disposal. So what I appreciated about what you did was you started to chart, uh, like I, I don't know if you were doing it like weekly or monthly, but you were charting the amount of stories you were assigning for that month or for that time period, and how many mm-hmm. went to men, how many went to mm-hmm. women, how many went to um, mm-hmm. You know, women of color, men of color, LGBTQ plus, right? Like, you started breaking it down yeah. and holding yourself accountable, right? Because it's like, well, how are you leading an example for Diversify Photo and for these editors that you want to go to Diversify Photo to find talent if you're not holding yourself accountable to the same standards that you want to hold mm-hmm. them to, right? So I appreciated that. Mm-hmm. And exactly. what's, what's crazy, though, is that Thank you. You don't. You're welcome, man. You don't. You don't need to do that, but at the same time, it's like there's also not a lot of black editors in the industry, and for a black editor mm-hmm. to hold himself accountable to how he's distributing stories, where 
white editors who have been in these seats for years, for decades, are not mm-hmm. doing that. Mm-hmm. It's just like, mm-hmm. to me, it's like, if if he could do it, why can't you? Right? Like, you mm-hmm. might have more mm-hmm. to lose by doing something like that. Sure. Right? Oh, yeah. So I, pre- I really appreciate yeah, you, I'm- like, walking, you know, walking the talk. Thank you, thank you. No, it's, it's for me, it was one of those things that, like, I can't sit here, you know, telling people, like, you need to hire this, you need to hire that. Mm-hmm. Like, why aren't you hiring more diverse and not doing the same myself? Like, I, I felt like that was so contradictory. It could be like, you need to do better, and then I don't know what my numbers look like. Yeah. Um, and also, just kind of leading the way. And also, one of the big things about me, as much as I love the undefeated, like, you're able to, like, folks are able to look at the work that I was doing and be like, well, you have time for that. You don't know what it is to work this daily grind when you have three, four stories running your desk a day. And now, like, I'm, I'm at the Washington Post, I'm at the New York Times. Like, now what? What you going to say? What you going to say? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm doing, the, I'm doing the work. I'm working with these photographers. I'm working with photographers of color. I'm working with a very nice, diverse bunch of people. Why can't you? While you're sitting there, I don't know, a few desks over from me or a floor over from me or down the street from me, like, why can't you do it? Because I'm doing it. Yeah. I know your workload. Um, and I think that was one of those things that folks are like, oh, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense now. But, yeah, it's possible to do it. Um, because, you know, I just, don't want to, I just don't want to be the ones like, shame on folks and can't say that I have the experience as well. And, you know, it also, like, opened the door for many other folks. So there were a bunch of other folks that follow along. I was like, this is who I hired. And I think that's amazing yeah. um, to have that more, that transparency, because that's how we get better. We have to hold ourselves accountable. And until you start putting numerical values on things, like people just go by feelings. Like, well, I think we're hiring more diverse now, <laughs> yeah. but like, I don't feel like you haven't changed anything from where you were a year ago. Yeah. So, like, putting numbers to things makes it real. Putting numbers to things gives people a path. Like, they can find a path. Like, for me, when I was like looking at, like, you know what, I don't work with enough black women, nearly not enough black women I wanted to work with. I thought I was doing a really great job, but, like, I hired Lindsay Witherspoon, like, two times, and, like, Layla for, like, another one. Um, that's not enough. There's a lot more I could be doing. Uh-huh. And so I see that. It's on paper and also public. So, boom, next month, I'm like, I'm going to just do nothing but a hardcore look. I'm going to take that three, turn it into six. Uh-huh. And that's just how it grows. And on top of that, like, you also, you're holding yourself accountable. And then you're also, like focusing on changing up what you're doing and you can see that. So like it's it's basically it's like working if you're working out without a scale, put it that way. Uh, if you don't have those numbers. You're like, oh man, I'm going to the gym like every day. I'm feeling good. And you have on that scale and you still like you still one seventy, you realize that, oh man, you know what? I guess I'm gonna keep track of this and I'll probably stop eating them cheeseburgers every day and I could probably pull that step down, and then once that number starts coming down, like, okay, I'm doing something right. And mm-hmm. I think that's what it was, yeah. just putting that number to it. Um, and I also just want this industry as a whole to be more transparent, like, to be more, to, to, like, we shouldn't have this gatekeeper syndrome. We shouldn't have where people shouldn't be able to see into what we're doing, um, especially in a world like journalism where we're always looking to see what people are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, let's, 
open this up. Like, you know, many companies, we are public-facing companies, let's be real. And I love what, like, NPR was doing when they released the diversity report of who's in their newsroom. Mm. Um, because that gave me a better understanding of who's making the journalism now in NPR. Same thing with New York Times. When we released our diversity numbers, like, you can see our newsroom and be like, all right, so those are the journalists. That's the makeup of who's delivering my news and making those harsh decisions. Um, to run this photo instead of this photo. So you can you get a better sense of that. And I think that makes us honestly all better at the end of the day. Yeah. And and what you do is so measurable. You know, like exactly. you get you get I mean it's it you can break it you can break down the numbers very, very easily, right? Like uh you mm-hmm. get X amount of assignments a month. You assign X amount of assignments. Yeah. Right? Like it it you know you, you, there's no reason to say that you're just you're just making these decisions based on feeling, right? Like there's numbers, mm-hmm. you know, and numbers don't lie, you know. Exactly. Um, what are some of the the challenges? Like Diversify is what about four or five years old, right about now? We're 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 going. This is year four. Okay. We're in year four right now. Yeah. So in in four years. You grew from a list. I can imagine it too. Probably just like a starting out as like uh, in a in a in a diner with a uh, a napkin full of like yo. But the idea pops in your head, and and you're just like, all right. You start writing down the names real quick, and then you take that list mm-hmm. and you write it on real paper, real pen, right? And then taking that mm-hmm. list that started on a napkin, and then now it's like a 700 person database spanning across the globe. That's amazing. It's amazing. What are some of the challenges you. that you've had in the in these four years just trying to um get diversified to where it is now? I mean, it was first I think the the biggest thing was like, is this something people are gonna gravitate toward? Mm-hmm. Um and breaking getting over those hurdles. You know, people are like, I don't really do I why would I need this? Or does this matter? who I'm hiring, does this make a difference? Why does this matter? I think it was like getting people on board at first. It was the tough spot. And like I said, like, I took a bit of a road show. Like I was popping up at talks and panels, wherever someone would let me speak, whatever room I can get in with folks that make decisions and being like, this is why this matters. Andrew and I were just like knocking on doors. Whoever will sit down with us to, to, to hear us out. Um, and to show how easy this was. And it was. It was a lot of spoon feeding early on. It was a lot of, these are the folks that you could work with. This is how it could be. Um, so I think that was one of the, that was definitely one of the biggest hurdles out front, was just getting people on board, getting editors on board. Photographers were like, yes, this is amazing. Um, so I think that was like the biggest hurdle, just getting people to use it, getting people on board. And yeah, there was a lot of hand-holding going on, it was definitely times I'm taking off moments from work to be like, are you, you can't use it? Okay, you need some, where are you trying to find somebody? Like, I feel like a travel agent. All right, okay, you're going to Rona. All right, great. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh-huh. What type of, what type of portraits? All right, great. Got just the person, please. Go, go ahead and take out, uh, you know, ask Potters. That's great. All right, cool. Thank you, ma'am. Oh, no, I cannot talk to him for you. I know you have to do that on your own. Thank you. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> so like there was definitely moments early on where you know, I felt like I was a travel agent. I was connecting folks together, but it was completely worth it because people got on board and they saw the amazing, uh, amazingness of the work and the talent they were missing. 
I think that was one of the big ones. The second one was just the, the infrastructure that we had to kind of build because yeah. we were um, partially like duplicating off of what Women Photograph was doing because, you know, they beat us to the punch. They were out there. Sadly, they were ahead of us. Um, but we knew we, we had some more hurdles to jump over. Uh, we knew there was, you know, um, our scale, our scope was going to grow and it wasn't just um, one definition of what a person of color is. And I think, you know, so it's a lot of work to do all that jazz. But really, like, the infrastructure of, like, building an operation while Andrew and I both were working was, that was a lot. Um, and, you know, people, corporations not buying on to why this matters. So I think in the last few years, yeah, we've been, we've been running this on a shoestring budget. Mm-hmm. Like, like your boy got credit card charges from MailChimp. I'm just letting you know. There's credit card charges from MailChimp. There's, if I can, I can't even, honest to God, estimate the hours spent yep. um, that for no, for, you know, for, for thank yous. It's not like we're making money out of it. Um, but, like, you know, trying to solve these problems, trying to come up with these solutions and all that jazz. So now we finally have that infrastructure built, but it was nothing really in that shape or form that we can kind of mimic or go to. So we had to, like, build this up to where it wanted to be. Um, and, I, you know, on top of that, it was also doing... Yeah, I think it was that moment that, like, we looked at... understand we're doing a lot of this work for this industry for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and taking that all in, because, like, we're going through 1,500 applications on their, on their initial round. I think now we're probably... Close to like four thousand applications. Four um, people thousand. So four, like four thousand. Four thousand new people that want to get in. Yeah, well, some of those are repeats because if you if you miss one, then you can apply again. It's uh-huh. completely easy. Um, so like you missed one, and wow. obviously we didn't have enough first category. So I think that, I think we had three. It's like three thousand. I gotta go back and check the numbers. David has David Breda has the actual numbers. I might be blowing that out, but that's amazing. We definitely, man. we're definitely at three thousand range. So how um, do you? But yeah, so like we're we're okay. So without giving away too much, too many secrets of how your decision process, but like, how do you decide who who whose application is accepted? Um, versus, like, not yet, you know? Okay. Yeah, you know, I'm, once again, transparency. This is what I'm 100% about. So for the first three iterations, first three rounds of judging, uh, it was done by the same by the same core group. Um, so it was myself, Andrew Wise, Jahan Jillian, Jen Samuels, Jesse Winder, Elijah Sinclair Walker. Okay. Um, and we went through everyone. So that was, like, about 2,000-plus. Um, over that, I think that first year, two years or whatever. Um, and so the idea was, if we see work, would we work with this person? Would we want to work with this person? Or would it be someone who's worked that week? If a colleague asked us, uh-huh. would we pass their name along? I think that was that's how it worked. Because so much of this industry, that's how it works. Like, you know, like, hey, I look for someone in, in, I don't know, Tuscaloosa. Do you know anybody? And you pass them along. So you want this list to feel like somebody's friend so they can go to and they can ask a question and not have that awkward moment like, I'm looking for a black person in Chicago. Do you all know any? It, 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 this, is, this is it. Mm-hmm. This is it. So um, that was kind of like the bar. Of like, is this person ready for assignment work? 
um, or is the person not ready for a song to work? And then the maybes. The maybes have now become our new uh, up next category. So folks that we're watching, and we're going to look at again in like six months or a year um, to see if they're ready for like full on sign the work. Then have people, the people that we would assign, but I wouldn't one hundred percent like put a stamp of approval on somebody asks me. I'm like, you can try this person, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to bet the farm on them yet. Okay. Um, so that's what up next is, and so that's that's basically how we kind of judged it. And then as we've gone on, we kind of set a bar. So now everything else gets judged upon who's already on the website. Okay. Um, and so with this work, if you're working in a place like, I'm trying to think of places a little more crowded, so like a New York or L.A., would, this, would you call this person over Tyler Mitchell? Not, let's not go there. That's too high. Uh, <laughs> would you call this person over like XYZ if you're looking for this type of work? Um, Gina Carlo uh, Valente, like, would you call this person over Gina Carlo? And if that answer is no, then you already fall into that up next to that maybe category. Um, and so basically it's like between five to seven people are going through um, giving yes, no's, maybe, and all that jazz. Uh-huh. And, you know, from there, um, and from there they, you know, they go up on the website, they get the stamp of approval. And so in the recent iterations, I've taken a step back. I still, Andrew and I still look over everyone before they go on the website. But like we brought in some new voices, folks from you know the Atlantic, Wired, um, Washington Post, other people from the New York Times, other people from Wall Street Journal, like across the board to kind of bring a little more flavor into the mix. But it really all comes down to like, would I hire this person? Yeah or nay, or maybe. That was great, man. I mean, uh, four thousand people in the queue, just waiting to to get their. Um Confirmation letter. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, well, I mean, you know, it's it's, it's 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 a lot. It's a lot to like have that weight, but like it also shows me that we exist. You know, like you know, three, four thousand people. I, I want to say so that there might be, might be, still might be a little much, like maybe like thirty five hundred. But like you know, it lets me know that like we exist and mm-hmm. we are here and we're doing great work. And I think what's also important is that these folks are seeking community. Mm-hmm. You know, the community aspect is, is so clutch to not feel like we, while we work, we may be one of a few or the only in some situations, but to know mm-hmm. that, you know, um, there is a whole community that has a shared experience. It may not be identical to mine, but is a shared experience and I could like vent with them or, you know, um, ask questions about like, yo, has anybody ever experienced this type of thing on assignment or what should I charge? You know, we talked about this earlier, licensing, mm-hmm. right? All of these different things. Yeah. And knowing that there's a community of people who have experience with this or know somebody who has experience with this like directly, that is comforting. And that lets us know that, you know, um, we may not have all the answers, but there's somebody like a button away that um, can help us find the resources to, you know, to stay in this industry and to stay relevant and stay competitive, you know? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. But yeah. That, that was the, that was the one big thing that like, I know I wanted was that, that sense community. That's why I was missing in the scale up of putting them together to diversify was a spot where we could all kind of get together. So that group is one spot. And I think we're trying to find a ways, but as many ways, as many platforms, as many angles it takes just to get us together makes it 
like that's what it's all about. Like, because I know how lonely it's out there. I I know it very very well, as many of us do. Like, we know what it's like to be on one, just to be that only one. You think you're the only one in the world, but honestly, like, there's a community of folks behind you now. And that was one of the things about this industry that was like that retention um, and keeping folks around that we were missing. That so much of this industry is missing, and now that there's people, you know, they're super behind you. Like you feel like there's lives in there. Like I got my whole crew behind me, uh, <laughs> the whole city behind me. So that is one of the perks of Diversify. And yeah, like the, the several groups, we don't, I don't think we hit like every single person that's ever applied. We invite folks to the group for sure. Um, but like we're there and it's that community around that ideal of there's someone always in your corner and you can easily hop on at 3 a.m. and say something. I'm pretty sure Michael McCoy going to get back at you. Man, <laughs> uh, either Michael or Anthony going to get Mike. you because neither one of them is I know. I, they, exactly. Both of them, man. Vampires, man, for sure, man. Shout out to both of them brothers, man. I understand. That's family. I can hang out with them, but I can't do that. I can't do that no more. I can't <laughs> close it all of it out. I, I, I can't. I can't. Two o'clock, I'm gone. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just, it's amazing. I'm just happy that I was able to create something yeah. um, that, you know, hopefully, like, outlives me. Or even in a dream world, we don't need it at some point. Like, hopefully, right. like, 10 years from now, we don't need it. It's just a community thing. We're just kicking it. Yep. Um. But like editors don't need to go to some secret spot um, to find photographers of color because we're all doing great. They're all taking, um, I guess, appointments or talks with photographers to come from all different walks of life, and you know you don't have to feel like you're being secretive to get someone in a room. So yeah, yeah. one day, one day, man. But until then, we need you know. I definitely commend you for creating a platform that does exist, that does, um, you know, stand as proof of our existence and our talent, you know. Um, and, you know, I have, I have to say on record that um, after meeting you and seeing all the work that you were doing with Diversify, that planted a seed in my head that eventually led to the podcast, you know. So thank mm. you for creating Diversify because... That showed me that, you know, you can do, we can create something that's bigger than ourselves, like, and, and that mm. that goes, you know, that, that, you know, we can create something that helps other people who have been in our situation, you know, and instead of staying angry and frustrated, because that's where I was at, you know, once I, once I got my foot in the door of this industry, then that's sort of turning into like anger and frustration because I felt like mm. not getting calls or February, uh, Black History Month is rolling around and all of these editors are popping up <laughs> out, of, out of nowhere talking about, oh, I, I, I'm a big fan of your work. You felt like a template. I'm a big fan of your work. And then I looked them up mm -hmm. on, on all the social stuff and they're not following me. They never liked the picture or nothing. So I'm like, at what point mm -hmm. did you become a fan, you know, um, you know, and, and being frustrated and angry at that. And instead of letting yeah. that anger simmer, you know, transmuting it into a different energy and, and turning it into something that celebrates us instead of, you know, being bitter and angry at the way that the current industry exists for black photographers. Um, 
shifting mm-hmm. shifting the narrative and you know choosing to tell stories from our perspective. So I thank you for creating Diversify Photo, bro, because uh, that gave me the courage and the motivation to create this platform. So appreciate you, man. Man, I'm just happy I was able to do something. Thank you for doing this. This is this is phenomenal. I'm just going through podcast episodes. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, didn't know that. Like, who's up? Oh, okay, cool. I like like you hung out with Lawrence. I'm like, I didn't know. I knew Lawrence did this. I'm like, oh, okay, brother. So no, I just thank you for this platform. I think it's absolutely phenomenal. And if I was part of any way, shape, or form, I am just grateful. Yeah, man. Because um, I'm, you know, ready to see keep going. I'm trying to get to number 100. I'm trying to get that. I want to see when we get to that. I know. I know, man. I mean, I, I always tell people I have this dream that, like, some young kid is, who decides that, like, he, he gets a, a Hasselblad or a Minota camera from his grandfather. He gets into photography, and he's researching. Like, he wants to, he wants to mm-hmm. dig in. And he discovers the the podcast, and then he clicks on it, mm. and it's like, a hundred, a hundred episodes, two hundred episodes, mm. five hundred episodes, and it's like, yo, all of like all black stories, like, I, 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 you know, I'm not gonna be present when people click on on the site, but my hope or my dream is that, you know, people discover the site, and the inspiration and their motivation just like kicks up a notch, you know, and they, they just mm. chase after that dream even harder, you know? So that's yeah. what we got to do. We got to, yeah, we got to, we got to leave something behind for the, for the, for the kiddos, for the little duns, it, you know? Exactly. No, man, that's, that's what it's all about though. Cause that, I was that kid. I was literally that kid, that mm-hmm. kid you just spoke of. That was being mm-hmm. college, mm-hmm. tearing through books of Gordon Park. Mm-hmm. But like, there was nowhere else to go. Where exactly. am I supposed to go? Exactly. So you know, if you if you're a kid now, if you're a kid ten years from now, you're going to stumble across the Black Show podcast. I'm like, oh, oh, so we are out here. Mm-hmm. And then immediately, you know, you can go hit somebody's website, you can hit somebody's Instagram account, or mm-hmm. whatever. You can see these stories. You can be like, I see me. Yeah. That's what I was hungry for. It didn't exist then. Exactly. And so I'm, I'm just so happy of letting you see that. Like you're creating right now. This is. This is what it's about. This is what was needed. Yeah, man. Beyond needed. And I hope that folks listening, right, understand what was happening right now. Like what we're saying is like, you know, Brent faced his own frustrations in the industry and decided to create something out of that, right? Something that was um, positive, something that can, you know, actually shift the culture and change things, right? And I was dealing with my own frustrations and I took some I took mm-hmm. that and created something. So if you're frustrated with any aspect of like the industry that you're in, that means that there's something lacking, right? There's some there's mm-hmm. an audience that that industry is not speaking to. So if you find yourself frustrated with the same thing over and over and over again, pay attention to that because that might be an area where you can fill the gap. And speak to the people who need to hear mm-hmm. what you know, what you're going through, but in a way that is like productive. You know what I mean? So exactly. Yeah, man. Wow, oh, man. That's, that's yeah. That's 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 what it's about. It's like this is that moment to to create and to and to challenge and to overcome. 
And so let's take that and turn that into these positives across the board. I don't care what you do. If you work at UPS, let's take that and turn that into what positive you want to see in the world. Mm-hmm. How it can get better. Because, you know, I, I spent time in the business world with, uh, with my former desk at the Times, and, like, I'm seeing, like, these same things happening in, like, the world of economics, which is amazing. Um, the Sadie Foundation, exact same thing. Find a place for black economists to get together because there's a lack of black economists and they want to push and bring more into the fold because they're needed. Same exact thing. Same exact theory. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, just whatever you're in, do it. Go for it. This is Brent Lewis, and you're tuned in to the Black Shutter Podcast. I want to give a big shout out to everyone who tuned into this episode. Thank you for listening. The Black Shutter Podcast is hosted by me, Idris Talib Solomon. To subscribe to the Black Shutter Podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. When you get there, show us some love by dropping a five-star rating or leaving a review. This will help with our rankings, which essentially helps more black photographers get exposure. Make sure to check us out online at blackshutterpodcast.com to read the show notes, learn more about our guests, and check out some of their work. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Peace. Until next time.